Hello, I'm Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to or watching Radio Maine. Today I have with me in the studio Stephen Coston, who is a real estate developer and investor from Bar Harbor, who's really doing a lot of interesting things with his, um, his hometown, his home area. Thank you for taking the time to drive down and be with us today. Yeah, no, thank you. So I love the fact that you grew up in Bar Harbor and you seemed that there, you, you saw that there was an opportunity and you said, I think I'd like to try to kind of um, raise, raise the bar a little bit, uh-huh. do things a little bit differently with regard to hospitality. Yeah. Oh, that's so, pretty much exactly what happened. It was, it was kind of an accident at first. Um, I went to school for finance, um, which obviously there's a lot of finance involved in any type of business you do, but I went for like financial management. So, um, to be an investment analyst or something along those lines, which I did get into that and I, I still do it, but the, the lodging stuff kind of dominates the situation at this point. And like I said, that was kind of an accident. Um, my grandfather owned a motel for a long time. I worked there. I always liked it, but like I didn't, I didn't necessarily think I was going to do what I ended up doing. It wasn't like a plan. Um, and that motel got sold to a big hotel company and, um, I just kept working there. Um, and I saw the ways they did it different, but also some of the ways that I thought the old way was better. And like, I was kind of thinking about like, well, that's interesting. He does this this way, but we did it this way, but I think we were wrong in this case. But, and like, then I started having my own ideas as I was working there about like, oh, well, neither one of them did this, but you could try this. And, um, a realtor came to me and was like, Hey, this 12 room motel is available. <laughs> it's like, it, it was, uh, it was in pretty tough shape. It was built in the seventies. Um, and he was like, it's available. Do you, you know, you want to give it a try? And I tried to talk my aunt into it and she, she didn't end up doing it. And so I harangued my mom into doing it. <laughs> and so, um, I thought it was going to be like, she was going to primarily, be running it and stuff. And I was just going to kind of help support the financial side of it and, you know, stuff like that. But I ended up being more involved in it than I anticipated. And I liked it more than I anticipated and it did better than I anticipated. And I got really interested in it. So, uh, like 11 properties later or something like that. (laughs) Here we are. So what was the first property that you bought? Well, its legacy name is the Rockhurst Motel. Everybody in Bar Harbor will kind of chuckle because it was kind of known as just not a particularly attractive motel. It kind of looked like a trailer almost. It was like L-shaped, modular-looking thing. And it had a a really funny, like, horse and carriage um, motif on the side. Um, And then Witham Hotels, which is the company that bought my grandfather's motel ironically bought it, changed it to the Aurora Motel, and then they sold it to me. So I worked for him and he sold it to me. <laughs> and you've also uh, bought the Bar Harbor Manor, which is a, yeah. which is a pretty significantly different um, yeah, other end of the spectrum. We got the whole thing covered. Like um, we have everything from I have a nine room bed and breakfast that. I own myself. I have, uh, I have two adjacent bed and breakfast totaling 23 rooms that I own with four other people. I've got a 56 unit like economy style motel that I own with another guy. Like it's, it's, it's all sorts of different 
properties, ownership, structure. Like, it's all over the place. We've got the whole spectrum. Yeah, I think I saw one of your hotels, the Anchorage. I believe I stayed there a million years ago. Yes, like, yes, a, it's been there a million years, so that's yeah. probably about right. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's kind of, uh, it's, you wouldn't necessarily know it was there. It was pretty unassuming. But yeah, that's the 56-room one I'm, I was talking about. We, um, we bought that. Um, me and a guy who the guy who built one of my properties, um, he's a he's a contractor. We bought it together and we actually bought it in April and opened it in May and we completely renovated it in a month. I still don't know how. I don't know how that happened. I'm talking about like and when I say completely renovate, I don't mean paint it and put in new like accent pillows like we ripped the carpet out. We ripped the walls down. We like. We took the toilets out. We redid the some of the bathtubs. Um, we put in new like some new ceiling tiles. We painted it. We did like I I don't know. We opened. We bought it. I think exactly a month before Memorial Day weekend, and we opened and were full on Memorial Day weekend. I I don't know. <laughs> well, that's impressive because I stayed there when I was a college student, and I would say I would describe it as modest. When I stayed yeah, there, it still is. I mean, yeah. it's like I said, we kind of have something for everybody. Like we have super. So with within the group um, this summer, there will be 10 properties operating and then we're building one right now. So there will be 11 by, I don't know, sometime later this year or early next year. Um, but between those 10 properties, like they, they couldn't be more different. But that's by design, you know, because different people need have different needs some people don't care about a fancy breakfast and they don't care about um uh you know a fancy furnishings and fixtures they just want it to be clean comfortable and we still like even at the anchorage like when we redesigned it um we were thoughtful about you know it all it looks good like i'm not i'm not like knocking uh the the place it just it's not the same as mm, like sandbar cottage which has is full of gorgeous artwork and you know antique you know furniture and um just stuff that you're not gonna be able to provide in a in a motel where you want to try to help people out on the price point because you can't make those kind of investments and then not charge anything for it so like we have something and like our staff is really good about trying to help the person some people will call one of the bed and breakfasts and they'll be like, well, I have a family and, you know, I want to say, uh, like, thank you for calling. But th this, like, if you're willing to just trust me that this is not the property, like this, this doesn't meet any of the criteria you're looking for, but we have one that does. And usually they really appreciate that. And they're like, oh yeah, actually this is much better. Thank you. <laughs> so you brought up something that I want to make sure that we talk about because it's really why we were interested in having you here. And that is that you really have done a wonderful job bringing main art um, into or art, mm -hmm. main connected art in yep. some cases into the properties. Yeah. But you've also said in some of the things that I've read about you that you're not you're not claiming to be someone with an expertise in art, architecture, design. No, I have no zero formal training uh, beyond some high school art classes. I have zero formal training in um, art or design or architecture. Um, it, it's all just come about 
naturally, I guess. So why was this important to you? Well, when we did, so after, after we did the little 12 room motel that I mentioned, um, we redeveloped that property. I thought it was going to take probably 10 years, but like I said, it did a lot better than we anticipated. So we ended up doing it. We bought it in 2015. And after the first season, we immediately started working on, um, getting the, the permits and stuff. And it took two years to get the permits, but we did it in 2018. And so I don't know why I can't tell you. I mean, this sounds goofy in retrospect, but like at the time, I never thought of it. I never even thought of hiring a designer. I never thought of it. I just kind of was, I had some ideas about what I thought it should look like. And then, you know, um, uh, like, like I said, my mom was involved in that one. She had some ideas and, uh, you know, some of our friends had some ideas and stuff. And, um, I just started going on Google and looking at ideas, inspiration, paint colors, carpets, and we decided to go with like a nautical motif in that one. And I don't know, it just, we never hired any designer consultant, nothing. We did have an architect on that project, but, um, that was the last time that we've employed an architect. Um, the building that we're building right now on Cottage Street, one of my business partners actually made a scale whiteboard model of the each footprint of each floor. And I drew what I thought the place should look like, like layout wise on a whiteboard. And um, we had a draftsman um, like clean it up, professionalize it. And we designed the outs, you know, the outside where the windows were and stuff to meet the needs. And like, if you look at the whiteboard model, there's almost no changes to the, what it turned out to be, because once you've done it once, like the hallway width is the hallway width, an elevator is an elevator, a staircase is a staircase, egress is egress, like, and there, there again, like I'm not, I am not an expert. So there are some things like I still need that draftsman to go in there and clean it up because there were a few things. But like, I know how thick a wall is. I know they're all the, <laughs> like, they're all the same. Um, and you know, it works cause you like, and you know what didn't work, like things you would have done different cause you did it. So I don't know. It just never really occurred to me to that you, the information was all just kind of available and I don't know. It never occurred to me to hire people. <laughs> I was like in business, you know, I thought I was supposed to do it myself. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, it seems like it's worked. So at the end of the day, it seems like, you know. Yeah. The first project I did by myself was uh, Primrose Inn. I bought it and completely redesigned it in 2000. I bought it in 2019 and opened it in 2020. That was fun. Um, <laughs> uh, but that one, like when I look back at it, I, I worked with Ethan Allen on that one. Like they uh, provided the furniture and I didn't even know this when I called him. I thought I was just going to order some beds and stuff, but they're like, no, we, we come, we measure, we do. So I did collaborate with them on that one. I already kind of mostly had it locked in. Cause like I said, I thought I was just ordering a bed. So it was kind of more like they came in and they, they made some really helpful tweaks and um, they um, helped me fill in the blanks and stuff. And I, I, I really enjoyed that project and I think I learned a lot from that project. And then I worked with them again on my next project. And I feel like doing those two projects, uh, with, with that, um, like connection 
helped me learn a lot of things uh, and do some of the other projects just completely by myself and have them come out, you know, up to standard. So knowing this and knowing that you, I'm sure you were working with a specific budget, Uh um, you could have chosen to just do some sort of generic stock photos on your walls, Uh but clearly you didn't. You, you spent, you really invested in some wonderful art and art connect from Maine. It's it gets more and more every time I do one, honestly. So in on Mount Desert, uh, was the first time I ever had any experience buying any art. And, um, there was a woman who does watercolors. Her name's Beth Whitney. Um, I can't remember where in Maine she lives, but, uh, she paints watercolors and she offers prints. And I, like I said, I found it on Google. Um, and I felt like it was reasonable and she was willing to meet the time frame and, um, uh, you know, provide the prints. And then I framed them myself. She gave me advice on like how to, Oh, and a woman at a local frame shop actually helped me a lot. I went in there and I was like, hey, can I frame these? And she's like, well, you know, it's going to cost you a fortune if I do this for you because it's like a hundred whatever. But, um, you know, let me tell you where you can order them. And, you know, you need this, this, this and this kind of tape. And I've I've used her store to frame tons of stuff since then. But when I have like a mass project, that's not really. So I that was my first experience with it. And again, like I just found it on Google. And then when I did Primrose, I went over to Artemis Gallery in Northeast Harbor. And uh, I was like, hey, can can we either work together in some sort of like you display the art in my place or I just work with you to source art? That, and so I ended up going the direction of just buying the art. I always buy the art. Um, and um, that was the first experience I had with a local gallery and I have tons of stuff from Artemis. And then I met the woman who owns gallery at some sound, uh, Tira, and we became friends and I have a lot of paintings I've gotten through her too. And then I met Emma at Portland art gallery because I was on Instagram and I saw a painting that she had and I just messaged her. I was like, can you send that to bar Harbor? Thanks. <laughs> so, um, it just kind of happened over time and each property I do, I feel like I try to push it further and um, the customers enjoy it. Like they think it's awesome because I'm not just selling a bed. Like it's an experience. You're, you're not coming to Maine to go to a business meeting. You're, you're doing more than just sleeping. Like you're, you're here because you have this idea about what you want your experience in Maine to be. And you have an idea about Maine and coastal Maine and Bar Harbor and Acadia. And you have certain like values attached to it, you know, that you want to feel reflected in the offering. You want to feel like you made a good choice. Like, you have good taste. So you chose a tasteful place. And so, um, honestly, um, I feel like I, I feel like I get a return on it. I mean, part of the reason why I do it is because I just like art. I've always liked art. Even when I was a kid, I liked to draw, you know, but I do feel like I get a return on it. The customers appreciate it and it becomes part of the experience. They say, Oh wow. I love this painting. We say, Oh, the gallery's 10 minutes that way. Go talk to Tira. She'll tell you all about it and she'll sell you one or whatever. And People are like, that was the highlight of, you know, so they don't, it's not, it's not, I'm not like catering to like some unknown group of art fanatics that's out there somewhere. It's, they're just regular people like you and I, you know, they're, they're not like some sort of like art savants or something, but they just, people just like it. If I'm understanding this correctly, one of the pieces that you bought from the Portland Art Gallery is um, from one of our painters, 
Carlos. Oh, yeah. I have, I think, three paintings from Carlos. Okay. Two huge ones and a small one. And he is, I mean, he is wonderful. And also, he's got a very specific look to his paintings. So, yeah. So tell me what it is about his work that you Okay, so, yeah, I can tell you exactly what what happened. So um, I was opening this hotel. I'd bought it. It used to be called the Quimby House, and we were completely redesigning it. And uh, we came up with the name Little Fig Hotel, and it was supposed to be sort of eccentric, but not too much. Like like eccentric, but still classic in a lot of ways. Um, I, I don't like to be weird just for the sake of it. Like I, I like to be eccentric, but within the confines of taste. <laughs> like I'm not just trying to be weird to try to push the envelope, you know. Like I, I want it to be interesting, but not like, wow, that's just out there. Um, and I felt like um, we, we were doing a lot of like uh, stuff inspired by – I to to supply that hotel which it's only 23 rooms so it's not a huge one i can i don't know how many truckloads of stuff i bought from antique stores all over the state i mean that's how i decorated it just one piece at a time i mean it must have been a hundred trips to different antique stores every piece of furniture was just we didn't do any mass ordering it was all just i want this bed i want that chair i want this mirror like and it all um and, and we kind of went with the color scheme of a fig. We painted the doors bright red. The accent walls are like plummy blue colored. There's some like light greens in there. And um, um, so I felt like Carlos's paintings were, again, like eccentric but classic. Like they have that, they have the old school look, but they're also modern. It kind of blends the two. It's like transitional, I guess you could call it. Um, I know it's more of a furniture style than an art thing, but I think, yeah. Yeah, so that that's it just popped right off the page because I couldn't find the right painting. I wanted a really big painting and I just couldn't find one that was right. And then one morning I woke up and I went on Instagram and uh, I think the painting's called Golden Age and it's like six feet tall and it popped up on Portland Art Gallery's page and I, I'm, I just DM'd him. I was like, I want it. I didn't even think about it. I don't even think I asked what the price was. <laughs> it was perfect. Like it was no question about it. I mean, that's actually... a that's really amazing that somehow, so when I asked you, how should I introduce you? You said, well, I'm an investor and real estate developer, but you are incredibly hands-on in the work that you do. And you must have some very interesting visual sense to be able to kind of pull all of this stuff together and say, yes, that's going to work here. This isn't going to work here. I want this here. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, like I said, I've always enjoyed art. I've always enjoyed design. When I was a kid, I had a period of time where I thought I wanted to be a fashion designer. Um, and I've always been super into uh, um, it, pretty much anything. I like clothing. I like cars. I like watches. I like, I just like things that look good. I like things that are, that I feel like are art, you know, like I feel like art is more than just what you would call art. Like I feel like certain cars are art, certain watches are works of art, certain clothing is a work of art, sneakers, I used to collect sports cards when I was a kid. I liked the I liked sports, but I also enjoyed the design, like the graphic design aspect. I tried designing my own sports cards at one point, like in Photoshop. Um, I did a lot of graphic design. I used to have a blog, and I did all my own banners and my own little ads and stuff. So, um, it, it again, I I just I guess 
I guess it's just something that even though I have no formal training, like I've thought about it a lot and I've practiced it a lot. And I think if you spend a lot of time on something, you eventually kind of, you know, you, you make a few mistakes, but you figure it out. <laughs> so. so how did you end up with this strong interest in this kind of budding knowledge and on the topic? How did you end up going off and getting an education in finance? Well, so uh, I was I had a blog about NBA basketball when I was young, and I was ultimately trying to parlay it into some sort of career as a writer or sports writer, sports journalist, something like that. But after I did it for like four or five years, and if I do something, I do it hard. Like I was blogging for probably 10 or 12 hours a day for like three years. I mean, like I was completely nutty about it. Whatever I do, I do it. So I just eventually it occurred to me one day I was like, this isn't a it's not working <laughs> like you're not you haven't this isn't working. Uh, you're you're living in your parents basement because this thing's not cutting the mustard here. And um, uh, also you're you don't even like it. You're just at this point, you're just forcing yourself to do this every day. So one day I just wrote a post. I was like, I, I had, I appreciate the people who read it and everything. Like I'm not trying to downplay it. I had several hundred regular readers. Like it, it was cool to connect with those people, but it just, it wasn't enough. Like you need thousands and thousands of people. So I just, you know, I said, I'm done. I apologize. You know, I, I appreciate you guys, but I'm going a different direction. And I called my dad who is a CPA and he always tried to encourage me to get into either finance or accounting or business and um, to go to college and whatever. And so I called him, I said, recommend me a book. And I, I think he was kind of like, are you serious? Like, cause I had kind of shoved it aside for so long. And I was like, yeah, yeah, recommend me a book. Just, he's like, but what kind of book? I was like, a book about the stock market, something, business, give me something. And he recommended me a book and I drove to the bookstore and bought it. And then from that day, like immediately, I just applied all of the, you know, the 10, 12 hours a day went from blogging about basketball to reading about business. And then I think that same day I started the process of enrolling at Husson University in the finance program. And I remember I, I told my dad, I was like, I'm going to graduate with a 4.0. And he's like, he laughed at me and I did. <laughs> so like, I just get really into stuff and I like to set goals. So uh, random walk down wall street by Burton Malkiel, which whose philosophy I now completely disagree with. And, and I think is, um, uh, so the random walk theory is basically the idea that all relevant information is priced in to stock prices and therefore you can't beat the market. So you should just buy an index fund. I mean, that's a really like simplified view of it, but that that's completely bunk. Um, like Warren Buffett's not a, you know, he's, he's a real person. He exists. Um, and so do others like him. It's very hard to do. It's one of those ideas that's roughly correct, but precisely wrong. You told me um, earlier that you used to not like to read. I hated reading. There was nothing I hated more than reading. And now you like to read quite a bit. I hated reading right up until I told my dad to recommend me a book. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able. I didn't even honestly like I can't blame anybody for being skeptical when I first went down that path because I didn't. I wasn't sure if I believed that I was going to even be able to do it, but I wanted to try. But right, like immediately, I just, I had no problem with it all of a sudden. And I think what happened was I started to like reading when I was actually in high school because I was always on the internet on message boards. 
I was making thousands of posts on basketball message boards, sneaker message boards, and like long posts, not just like, oh, neat, period. Like I was like having big arguments with people. Like it, it was, I spent a lot of time doing that. And that's reading. You, you like you're, you're reading the posts, you're writing, it's reading and writing. And so I think I finally realized like, oh, you came to like reading that way. So I, I think that's what happened. I can't, obviously, I don't know for sure, but that seems logical. So it wasn't that you disliked reading. You disliked reading in the format it had been offered to you. I think I was a little bit stubborn and a little bit closed-minded, and I didn't realize how much material is out there on how many different things. And you're not just, you don't have to just be pigeonholed into the things that, um, like I'm not knocking what they, you know, ask you to read in school, but those things, for whatever reason, didn't generally resonate with me. And I didn't stop to think about, well, it's not the reading that's the problem. It's just, you're not interested. And so I don't know why that didn't occur to me, but. <laughs> How did you end up going towards politics? You were on the Bar Harbor Town Council uh, for three years. I would describe that as another accident. Um, so when I did um, the, the, the little 12-room motel and redeveloped it, I so it was a realtor that introduced me to the idea and he was like, well, you should buy this one because, you know, you can fix it up and do it. And then there's also development potential. I was like, no, they're not. Uh, no, there isn't. Um, hotels and motels aren't in allowed use in this district. This one's only here because his grandfather. And that was all I knew about zoning at that time, because I had looked at that property and been like, oh, could we rebuild it? I didn't know anything. I was in my mid twenties. I was like, oh, we could do and so my dad, I think, or somebody had told me like, no, that zoning got changed years ago. You can't build a hotel or motel there. So you're stuck with the 12 rooms. But this realtor came to me. He's like, no, um, you can build a bed and breakfast. And in Bar Harbor in 2010, they changed the rules and they allowed bed and breakfast. There's five bed and breakfast definitions in Bar Harbor. Bar Harbor has the world's most confusing land use ordinance. I swear it's probably worse than like Manhattan. I don't, it's the craziest document anybody's ever seen. Like, it's ridiculous. There's five different bed and breakfast definitions. I think there's like 20 total different lodging uses. It's crazy. And nobody knows like which one is which. There's like transient accommodation, which can be a hotel or a motel. There's hotel, there's motel, there's campground, cabin. Like, so bed and breakfast three and five can be new construction. So that was number one. And then number two, they don't put a room or size limit on the building. And all it says is that you have to serve breakfast and a designated employee, not necessarily the owner has to live there. And I said, well, that's a hotel. And he was like, yeah, but according to the town of Bar Harbor, it's a bed and breakfast, like read it. It's the plain language. And I read it and I was like, well, you're, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like seems right to me. So, uh, we did it and I thought nothing of it. I went down to, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm in my mid twenties. I've never done this before. I hire this, this engineer. He draws out the site plan. I go down to planning board. I'm like, this is going to be one meeting, like boom, bang, like it's plain language. And then all of a sudden everybody started asking all these questions about, um, you know, well, I don't feel like it meets the spirit of the ordinance or like it doesn't meet the definition of, you know, this particular term in the use or whatever, whatever. And I was like, oh God, this is bad. <laughs> Cause we'd already spent a decent amount of money hiring the engineer and stuff. And we ended up spending six figures before we ever got anywhere. And I mean, I'm in my mid twenties. I got my mom harangued into this. Like it was, it was not great. And it went, had to go through design review, planning board and appeals board. And each time it, um, 
if one vote had gone differently, it was done. And I still feel to this day pretty strongly that if you just read the plain language, like it's clearly, hey, I didn't make these rules. Like I get it. I don't, it's weird to me that a bed and breakfast could be 30 or 40 rooms. Like I get it. I understand. But I didn't write these rules. Like I was 21 years old in 2010. I was at the YMCA shooting baskets. I didn't know what a land use ordinance was. So like people, uh, there's a, a lot of people, unfortunately, um, believe that I pulled one over and now I've done it twice because I've done two of these new build bed and breakfast things and they feel like I've like pulled one over or, you know, like cheated the spirit of the ordinance or whatever. But the whole point of an ordinance is that it doesn't have a spirit, like it's words so that it's fair and everyone can understand it. So that, or at least that was my impression. So I'm just reading the plain language and it's like, okay, if somebody lives here and you serve breakfast, then you're good. And I went down there and I was shocked to find that it was not an open and shut case. Um, if there was one thing I wish people could understand about my business in Bar Harbor, Maine, because this has become a very public topic of discussion for years and it's generated a lot of animosity. We've had our properties get vandalized. I stopped at a stop sign last summer and I looked up and the stop sign said, Stephen Costin sucks on it. And I was, like, and then I realized there was like a dozen more stop signs in town that said that. And there was a, somebody hung a giant banner off the side of one of my motels that said build homes, not hotels, labor rights, Bar Harbor, like all this. And it was all related back to this idea that like we pulled this fast one. But I just wish people could understand, like I understand the rules are weird. I'm I'm on your team. I'll tell you how to go petition the town office to change them if you think that it's bad. I don't think it's necessarily bad. I think these are positive developments in my opinion, but you don't have to agree with that. But like, I just wish people understood that I went in there in my mid twenties with no understanding of anything. I couldn't have pulled a fast one if I wanted to. I learned all this stuff through the process. I didn't know anything. I almost fired my attorney because I was so dumb. Like I didn't know anything because he was trying to explain something to me. And I thought he was just like being stubborn and being a jerk and trying to like get it off his desk. But this attorney ended up being like one of the heroes of the whole thing. Like he figured out some of the basic ways to demonstrate like how to explain uh, how this met the definition and stuff like that in a way that resonated that I wouldn't have been able to figure out on my own. And I was like one, I was one phone call from firing that dude. I called the engineer. I was like, I'm, I'm so mad at this guy. I want to fire him. And he was like, Steven, do not, like I forbid you put your phone down. Don't do that. So like that, I just wish people understood that it's, it's not a straight line. So with all that animosity, the fact that you continue to purchase properties and try to develop them and bring people to Bar Harbor, yeah. where you're from, yeah. which was theoretically the idea of building the economy, yeah. um, it, that's, a, that's an interesting kind of conflict, I would think. Yeah, I mean... Um, uh, I, I love it. I mean, I love the business and, and I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and complain like hotels, lodging. It's a very public facing business. You're buying these big structures. They're on main roads. Everybody sees them. Um, you know, so I understand that I'm, I'm not like, I, I get it. Like I made my bed, I'll sleep in it. Um, I just wish that the, the argument around it was more like fact-based and, and less of this, like not, true narrative of how it all happened and came together. But the, 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 I, I love the business. Like it doesn't really, I don't have any thoughts when I'm about to buy a property or whatever about like, Oh no, or, or is somebody gonna, you know, get mad at me or whatever. Like if I'm following the rules and I'm doing well by my customers and our staff members, 
Um, and, you know, uh, we're offering a good product that I can be proud of and that gets good reviews and stuff. To me, that's that validates in and of itself. Like you can argue all day if you want that, um, you know, Bar Harbor doesn't need another hotel. Bar Harbor doesn't need another motel. Bar Harbor doesn't need another bed and breakfast. But if you put it out there and it's full every night and the staff is getting great wages and they love their job and the customers are thrilled and you're getting great reviews and it's full at high prices. Well, you, you can argue on some like mm, vague moral standard that we don't need it, but the market's answering the question for you. Like if Bar Harbor didn't need it in a fundamental economic sense, I'd be bankrupt. There'd be nobody there. Which is essentially what you saw with your blog is that you went down a path and yeah, you decided the need to wasn't there. Right. The, the need wasn't there. Like I thought it was really cool, but what, what I didn't get when I did my blog that I got with what, with, with the hotels, this was a big realization for me. I did the blog for myself. I was writing to myself. I was doing every, I was writing about what I wanted to write about. I was writing about, and then when I tried to transition out of that, I started to hate it. And I was like, okay, that's not the career for you. And then when I did the hotels, I loved doing stuff that the customers wanted. I didn't care if it was the couch that I wanted. It's like, that's the couch that the customers are going to like. Like that hits the pitching. That fits the vibe of what we're doing. Like maybe I wouldn't decorate my house this way, but it it works and this is fun. And I like trying to identify uh, what's going to make the customers feel like they got exactly what they wanted. It's like... Um, Henry Ford had a saying that if you ask the customer what they wanted, I'd make faster horses. Um, customers, I think, often have this like sort of uncertain, like kind of like feeling about they, they like know what they're trying to feel or what they're trying to see or whatever, but they can't quite like they couldn't create it themselves. They need you to create it for them and then show it to them and then be like, that's it like that. That's it. And so I like doing that. I didn't like doing that with blogging about basketball. I was too passionate about the subject. I just wanted to write about what I wanted to write about. With hotels, like, I live in a tiny house, sparsely furnished. Like, this isn't, like, a personal thing of mine. It's something I enjoy in the context of doing it for other people and doing business. Well, so what's interesting about what you're describing to me is that um, you're, you're fundamentally describing creativity and art mm -hmm. because when I talk to people who designate them, who, who are self-described artists. Yeah. And, and I mean people who paint, write, that yep. sort of thing. Um, it is that, that same thing that yeah. you're talking about, that it's not, they, it is for them, but it's also a yeah. conversation you're trying with to make other the, people. The viewer feels something you're trying to move. You're trying to resonate with them. Like it, you're right. It's, I'm not saying that like, I don't, I, you know, that, uh, I think something's ugly and I put it in my hotel because I think the customer is going to like it. Like, no, I, I like it too. It's just, like I said, it may not be my personal, you know, it may not be how I do my house. Like, I think it's tasteful. I think it's good, but it's totally aimed at, it's totally aimed at trying to identify what the customer wants to feel. So I agree with you. I'd never thought of it like that. That's a good point. But in that sense, I think it is an art form in and of itself because you're really using, you're using visual you know, touch, sound, cues, whether it's the music you play in the lobby or the texture of the sofa or the look of the painting or whatever it is to try to generate the feeling that you think the customer wants to feel. And then you just have to take in the feedback to see if you're hitting the pitching or not. And um, I, I think a big thing for me is I think taste is really underrated, like as a 
virtue. Um, one of my favorite quotes is a Spanish philosopher from the 1600s. I'm not going to try to pronounce his name because I won't get it right. Um, it's from a book called The Art of Worldly Wisdom. And uh, it goes something along the lines of uh, three things uh, are, um, are at the acme of true nobility. Um, fertile intelligence, keen power of judgment, and a pleasant, relevant taste. And the first time I ever read that quote, I was like, okay, everybody would say intellect and judgment. Like everybody holds those on the highest standard. Every philosopher from, you know, Socrates to Confucius is going to like, nobody's going to disagree with that, right? But who puts taste on there? Like who puts taste with intelligence and judgment? I was like, and pleasant, relevant. Like, so it's, it's towards, other, it's not just what you think. It's like outward facing. So, uh, I think that's, I hold taste on like, I think a much higher level than it's generally held. I think it's a really, really, I don't know if importance is the right word, but it's a really nice thing to have in your life. Like to taste tasteful to, you know, pleasant. It's a, the spice of life. You know what I mean? Like. You know, intellect and judgment's cool, but what are we here for? And I remember reading a book by a guy, uh, Edward O. Wilson, who's a, he was like an evolutionary theorist, scientist, whatever. He's a biologist, right? Yeah, biologist. Yeah. Thank you. Um, anthropologist, biologist, something like that. Yeah. And um, he wrote a book called The Meaning of Human Life. And basically the thesis was that the meaning of human life is kind of like what you make it. There is no meaning. Like we're a product of a lot of randomness um, and, you know, kind of a lot of really ch a long string of chance occurrences and, you know, some structured randomness. Um, and uh, so the point of life is like culture. The point of human life is the human aspect of it. It's the arts, it's music, it's stuff like that. I agree with that. So I think that kind of ties in with how taste is underrated. Because, like, taste is what makes that stuff. Do you think people trust their own sense of taste enough? Um, no. Uh, no, I don't. Well, I think I think you have your typical spectrum. Like, some people, I'm sure, are overconfident. Some are way at the other end. But I think the average person, if, if, if they put in the effort, like, I don't think anybody can just walk in and, like, start doing great stuff. Like, you got to you know, learn and try, read a book, do something, fail, learn from it, like whatever. But I think if people were more willing to put themselves out there and take risks and stuff, they would develop a much more strong sense of taste than they realize existed in themselves. I, yeah, I believe in the theory that most things are not done because they're not attempted. Like, so uh, yeah, I agree with you. So our conversation, from the beginning of our conversation, I've been thinking about this book that I just listened to that Malcolm Gladwell did with Paul yeah. Simon. Mm -hmm. Is this a book that seems familiar to I you? I know Malcolm Gladwell, and I've read several of his books, but I don't recognize the other name. Well, Paul Simon is a singer-songwriter. He's the Simon and Garfunkel guy. Oh, okay. I know Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. yeah, I haven't read this one. Well, you might be interested because— If it's a book, I'm interested. Well, I, I happen to <laughs> listen to it, but but yes, it's an audio book, and I thought it was really well done because it incorporated Paul Simon's music nice. and kind of— yeah kind of origin stories of some of his songs, yeah. but they also referenced a person who talked about creativity and how some artists are kind of born a certain, this is their, their yeah. concept and they're going to engage in the world this way. And yeah. they, this is kind of 
starts and ends at the beginning. And then they talk about other people and their creativity that they kind of grow into it as a result of exactly what you're describing, trying, failing. Yeah. 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 Evolving. I've, I've always kind of believed that like there's so much information out there and there's so many people out there who want to talk about so many different things, especially now with the internet, you can find anything, you can get a book on your doorstep the next day. Hell, you can read it online, like whatever, watch a video about it on YouTube. Um, I, I feel like whatever you want to be, you can pretty much, if, if it exists, you can know it. Like I've always felt like I'm not, I couldn't have done what like Einstein did and, and, uh, you know, um, reconcile Newton's this to whatever and come up with the, you know, the, the E equals MC squared. Like I, I couldn't do that. That's a product of him. But now that it's known and it's out there, like if I want to put in the effort that it really takes to really like understand that difficult thing, I could do that. The only reason why I'm not an expert in it is because I've chosen not to be. I haven't put in the time necessary. Like the information is known. It's out there. You could read every book about it. You could spend the rest of your life studying it. And I'm sure you'd become an expert at it. Um, and that's the way I feel about most things. And I understand that, you know, some people are, uh, you know, have different capacities for visual versus auditory or, you know, kinesthetic or whatever. But, you know, um, at the end of the day, there there are certain guidelines and principles and things that do apply and that, you know, like there's a reason why this room looks nice and uh, it's not like it's unexplainable. Like there are there are principles of color and dimension and, you know, scale and stuff like that. Like why a picture looks good on one wall. But on a, like you can learn this stuff if you want to. So and that's the kind of stuff that I've learned throughout this. Like I feel like I always had a pretty good knack for like, oh, that's a nice looking picture. And maybe that's more abstract. But probably five years ago, I'd have put it on the totally wrong wall. Like it would have been out of proportion or I would have put it next to something that, and I'd kind of always feel like that's not quite right. And now I feel like I don't make nearly as many of those mistakes. Like I can just detect that like, okay, that's why it's not quite right. It needs to be an inch higher. And that just comes from practice, I, I think. Have you read the book, The Design of Everyday Things? I have not. You may want to. I probably should. It kind of speaks to what you're describing. Seeing I think. as my career is designing everyday things, um, hotel spaces, um, I should probably read that one. Well, I just started, <laughs> and uh, as a fellow lover of books and reading, I, I, I feel like you might it might be something that will. I'll, uh, I'll add it to my backlog. I just ordered forty two books, I think. So well, that'll keep you busy. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I think having unread books around is valuable because it reminds you how much you don't know. Like it reminds you how ignorant you are. It's like, okay, like I feel good. I read this book. I read that book. And then you look over there and you're like, okay, the pile of unread ones is way bigger. It's possibilities, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I very much enjoyed our conversation today. And, uh, now I'm kind of interested to see how you've incorporated art into the, the work that you're doing with hospitality and all of your properties up yeah. in Bar Harbor. So I may have to come visit. You should. We've got a really great art collection. And like I said, almost all of it ties back to Maine in some way. So it's, it's really cool. Thank you for driving down today and for joining me in this part of the state. This is one of the few places in Maine I had never been in my life. So my pleasure. Okay, very good. I've been speaking with Stephen Costin, and I actually hesitate to even try to label him. I'm just going to say he is, he is a creative spirit and entrepreneur who is really doing very interesting things. And um, it's been quite a learning experience for me today on Radio Maine. 
I'm Dr. Lisa Belial. Thank you for watching or listening. And uh, please do go, go visit. What is your website again, Stephen? Staybarharbor.com. Staybarharbor. Where are you going, Bar Harbor? What are you doing? You're staying. Staybarharbor.com. <laughs> Absolutely. Take 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 some uh, take the time to uh, look into their properties because Bar Harbor is a lovely place, and it sounds like Stephen is doing very interesting things up there. So thank you for coming in today. Yeah, thank you very much. This was fun.